Welcome to The Compliance Files, brought to you by Compliance Institute. The Compliance Files is a unique podcast series, giving you access to industry insights and key perspectives on how the evolving regulatory landscape is driving change, bringing challenge and opportunity for compliance professionals everywhere. Hello and welcome to the Compliance Files podcast of the Compliance Institute of Ireland. I'm Rob Farrell, a member of the Compliance Institute Council, digital transformation lecturer, trainer and speaker, and it's my great pleasure to host the podcast today. Following on from the recent article in Spring's ICQ magazine, the Compliance Institute's Quarterly Magazine, our article called Risk and Compliance Professionals Transitioning and Transferable, along with the latest Employment Outlook survey from the Manpower Group, which was based on responses from over 400 employers across Ireland, it found that employers in banking, finance and insurance plan to expand their headcount by 32%. So today we plan to talk to a number of compliance professionals about their career journeys and provide you, our listeners, with the insights into careers of different compliance professionals to show you some of the benefits of a compliance career, the challenges, the opportunities that they face, and to help you understand what's next for the future within compliance. So if you are looking for some direction in your career, considering a change, or perhaps you're a recent graduate starting out, or maybe you just want to see what the career landscape in compliance looks like, this podcast will be a real inspiration for you. I'm delighted today to welcome Dervla Bale and Greg Rimmel. Dervla started working with Bank of Ireland over eight years ago as an audit manager, moving into roles in portfolio lead, credit risk, group internal audit and director of corporate banking and credit review, group internal audit before undertaking a role as head of compliance in corporate banking and markets in May 2021. She is qualified ACCA accountant with experience in assessing internal control, risk mitigation, effectiveness of policies, standards and business processes. With extensive experience in working on complex audit engagements and specialities including expert in delivering of internal audit reviews in the areas of credit, treasury, investment banking, corporate banking, insurance and outsourcing. So great guest to have with us today. Also, we have Greg Rimmel. Greg started working with Permanent TSB over 11 years ago initially in a first-line operations role, moving between compliance and deposit operations before undertaking a role in second lines as an AML compliance specialist. In late 2001, he transitioned into consulting with Grant Thornton, specializing in AML, and he's been involved in large-scale KYC remediation projects and AML audits. Greg is currently studying for his ACAMS and also hopes to complete the professional certificate in compliance by the end of the year. Derval and Greg are here to discuss with me today their transitions into a compliance career. Welcome to the Compliance Files podcast, Derval and Greg. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Rob. Delighted to be here. So guys, we have an action-packed podcast today. We're going to be talking all about your careers, getting lots of your insights. So I really, really do appreciate your time. Perhaps we could start off the conversation just by looking back and you could talk to us about some of your career highlights to date. Sure. I'm going to be the gentleman and say, Devla, maybe ladies first. Do you want to go first? Okay, Greg, I will. Thanks very much. <laughs> Uh, well, I started my career in AIB in 2006 and I joined the Capital Markets and Wholesale Banking Audit Team. Um, my role at the time was focused on auditing credit risk, operational risk and regulatory compliance. Um, and when I was working in AIB, I completed my ACCA exams. From there, I moved to Deloitte, uh, which was very, very different from AIB. Um, I had a lot more responsibility and the role was really quite varied. So sometimes I was working as an internal auditor for smaller banks and uh, insurance companies uh, and also I was also going out and helping different companies implement control frameworks and advising some of our clients as well on compliance and best practices that you'd see in, in similar uh, companies in the same industry and how they can kind of move on to get to that same space. I worked with a couple of insurance companies as well while I was in Deloitte and from there I kind of thought interesting area I might like to get extra experience so I went to work in equity insurance which is a very small department and I got some great exposure there and um, I got to present to the audit committee and prepare plans and really kind of helped 
bring me on a little bit in my own confidence in kind of my role. Um, but it was a small department, much smaller company than the banks. So I ultimately decided I'd like to go back to the banks for that bigger challenge. And at the time, I suppose the regulatory landscape in the banks was really, really kind of increasing. Um, so in 2014, I came back to, to banking, moved into Bank of Ireland credit audit team, uh, where I worked as an audit manager for a number of years in the credit team. Um, and then after a couple of years, I was promoted to portfolio lead on the credit team again. And there was a lot of engagement with the JST at the time, very focused on our IRB modeling. Um, and, and they would often send us requests to do various different audits, which was challenging because tight timeline, timelines, as a regulator always seems to have, but very interesting all the same. Um, so while I was uh, enjoying the credit aspect again, um, I decided I needed to, for my personal development to broaden my own kind of knowledge base and knowledge of the group. So I decided to move into a role in the corporate banking audit team, which was a similar role, portfolio lead again, but again, working with a different team, different stakeholders, and really learning a lot about the frontline business and what they do and kind of the regulatory landscape that they were kind of working to be compliant with, et cetera. So it was just a very interesting role. Um, and then a role came up in group compliance, which was kind of very nicely titled head of head of compliance for corporate banking and markets. And while when I looked at the job spec, I kind of said, OK, I don't have experience in compliance. I don't have everything that, you know, would tick those boxes. I did know that I had very transferable skills for my for my previous roles particularly as an auditor and also from Deloitte and the advice in, in relation to regulatory compliance. So I went for it and I was lucky that I, I got it, but um, delighted to kind of be in that role now. And I have to say, really enjoying it. It was really good that you mentioned there around the idea of timing as well, when opportunities come up around regulation changing in the industry, for example, and you kind of looking forward to say, well, what's your role in it? So that was a really good point that you made. Greg, I cut you off. Sorry, my friend. Go ahead. No, you're okay. Um, and I, I guess I've the opposite of, of Dave. I've gone from, you know, banking into consulting as opposed to going from consulting Deloitte into banking. So, like uh, most teenagers, I didn't know what to do when I finished the leaving cert many moons ago, and obviously got a place in DIT and deferred it for a year to figure out exactly what I wanted to do. And that's when an opportunity arose in permanent TSB. So. Initially, I joined Permanent TSB in 2011 in their call center at the time, um, doing their service lines, managing obviously multiple products across the service that they then offered at the time. So from a client's perspective and compliance perspective, it was very much GDPR driven at that time or what was then data protection in terms of who you're talking to, who you're giving information to and, and everything about the accounts. From there, I moved into their complaints department, um, which was quite small at the time and based over two offices, one in Dublin and one down in Cork, and pretty much learned everything in terms of the operational side of the house of the bank. So policies, procedures, how did accounts operate, everything you kind of needed to know for a complaints handler. So you could answer, obviously, all of those questions from a complaint perspective. And again, from a compliance perspective, we were dealing with CCMA on a regular basis at the time, mortgage arrears and obviously the arrears support units that were established across the multiple banks was a big ask. So CCMA, dealing with complaints within the time frame, data protection, all of it came into play as a complaints handler. From there, I was promoted into an assistant manager role in the deposit operations function, um, which I really enjoyed. You know, first time I kind of had a team reporting into myself, learning a different side of the house from a savings and investment perspective. And also as well, um, I was there when FATCA and CRS came into play. So the Foreign Accounts Tax Compliance Act, when that was implemented, and also the common reporting standards to the exchange of information between countries to combat tax evasion. So that was a really interesting time to be involved in that and kind of shape how permanent TSB were going to manage that with their customer base. From there, I was brought in um, to manage the AML refresh project within permanent TSB. So very much, again, along with kind of Della saying it was an industry time where ongoing customer due diligence was only really coming into force in Ireland. So everyone was scrambling to their books to kind of look at what did they have on files? What did they go and refresh? So we were played a forefront in that in terms of communicating with our customers, 
understanding the legislation, understanding discontinuing the relationship when you don't have the correct documentation on file. So it was a really interesting time as well. And that led me into the AML specialist role in the second line. So I transitioned from always being first line operations for a number of years, then into second line. And that really was for myself a challenge in terms of my mental thinking. I was the person doing the job all the time, whereas now my mentality is I can no longer do it, but I can advise you how the best practice in implementing all of those controls. So it really was a challenge for myself. And from there, I transitioned back briefly into payments for a while as a manager. So dealing with card and electronic payments. And again, from a, a compliance perspective, your wire transfer regulation was then in play. Um, we were visa branded at the time. So making sure we were compliant with the visa brand standards as well, which was quite a big task and challenge for us to always make sure we we're on top of. And then last year, I moved into Grant Thornton for our consultancy role and primarily specializing in AML again now. So back to, to my roots and obviously the challenge of myself of from a KYC refresh perspective, but also making sure from an audit perspective, we're going into the likes of FBD to insurance companies before the CBI comes in and looking at the controls, looking at their RCSAs and understanding and testing that there are up to expectations. So um, yes, quite varied over the number of years, but no, I've enjoyed every every step of it so far. It's interesting that you mentioned a few moments ago about when the role changes, you went from doing the job to advising colleagues on the best practice. I'm sure there was a bit of a pullback where every now and then you wanted to get back into the weeds, but needed to kind of pull your own reins back a bit. Yeah, and it, I think that was my biggest struggle as well, because not only was it, kind of the, the advice changing, but because I'd been in operations for so long, I understood how the systems operated and I understood the background to the processes. So I couldn't simply just say, well, this is what you need to do and have them answer, yes, that's already done, knowing it wasn't actually done because I was sitting there while they were doing it. So yeah, it was a very big uh, struggle and, and a battle that I probably still battle with myself on a daily basis being a consultant. Good to see that battle hasn't stopped. So. A question back to the both of you, uh, you know, with all the changes, what was it that attracted you to go down the route of compliance versus some of the previous roles you've had in the past? I think for myself, it's the ever-changing landscape. There's no one day that is the same. There's always something that is, the expectation is different. Um, and, and to Dave's point there, and obviously her current role, you know, the CBI has just published guidance on, on oversight and how banks and obviously institutions are meant to manage that oversight relationship so of third parties so it, it's constantly changed there's no one day the same and obviously I think that's the biggest you know um, opportunity but also the biggest drive to go into compliance because there's so many areas you can specialize in whether you're a data protection officer whether you're an AML officer um, whether you're CCMA you know CPC conduct there, there's a number of opportunities so you will never always be pigeonholed to one thing because they all overlap each other yeah and I suppose I, I totally agree like with with Greg there there's no two days the same like every day is kind of different and that just makes the role really really interesting like it's very difficult to get bored when things are changing all the time and you're learning about new topics new regulations new kind of just ways of engaging with, with our customers I suppose one of the key attractions for me having come from the third line is that, you know, it's that ability to chat, to review and challenge what the business are doing as they do it, not kind of waiting for them to implement something and then coming and doing an audit and telling them, well, actually, you should have done it this way and now you need to remediate. It's kind of being ahead of that. And I suppose for, for me, sometimes I see myself as protecting the business from the regulator are protecting them from internal audit so that they try they can get things right you know from the outset um, and hopefully the advice that we're giving them is helping them to do that so that's kind of what attracted me I suppose I was on the, the dark side <laughs> for a long time being an auditor so it's nice to kind of be in that you know advice supporting now obviously we review and challenge and we do a great deal of that but it's to be in there kind of as things are happening as opposed to at the end that's what I that's what attracted me and that's what I'm really enjoying. That's a really good point, Dervla. Um, and it's one that I find some people can lose sight of if they don't fully understand compliance and the kind of strategic and the critical nature of it. It's a partnership function. You know, you, you said it clearly protecting the business from the regulator or, or maybe internal audit. And 
you know, it, it is that partnership, isn't it? If it's done correctly, it's it actually really serves the bit the business in the short and the long term. So I, lo- I love that point that you've mentioned. You also both of you mentioned from a career perspective, there's lots of specialisms, new challenges. No two days are the same. But surely there's got to be some downsides. You know, what are the types of challenges you've seen in the past within your careers in compliance? I think the reading is probably the biggest challenge, having the time to do your job and do it to the best of your abilities, but also then having that time to read up on the change of regulation or read the guidelines that are published by EBA on the new regulation or looking at questionnaires and providing feedback on the regulatory landscape. That's probably for me, the challenging part, because you don't always get that time. And if you're obviously doing a task, if you're doing an audit, or you're halfway through with a client, and suddenly something changes, you need to take a step back and obviously go back to the drawing board again and understand, actually, what is the task here? So to me, that's the biggest challenge. Yeah, I I mean, I I agree with Greg. and, And also, I suppose, for me, personally, I hadn't worked in compliance so I had a new team that had significantly more compliance experience than I did um, and I was coming in as the head of that team but I suppose I had to remember for myself that the knowledge and skills that I have from my previous roles was really really relevant and really transferable and it positioned me well for the role uh, and the other piece for me was that a lot of the stakeholders I had were the same people so when I moved from audit I was working with the corporate banking division I still work with the corporate banking division but I needed to change their mindset like I needed to have very open relationship with those stakeholders now so that you know we can be collaborative and that I can you know provide them with advice and review and challenge on an ongoing basis but it's a different way of working with people then on an audit when you go in you do an audit you might be in an area for two to three months something to that effect and then you're gone and then you're moving on and you're working with different people but the the engagement and the way you engage with those people is very different and, and that's kind of it I suppose it was a challenge just because you have to change other people's mindsets but again it's good to be able to be in that position to do that those are some good points about the challenges I mean Greg you mentioned the importance of keeping up to date lots of reading that that's a challenge for everybody Um, I know in the past when I've been either in new roles or trying to learn something for me the only thing that got me through was you know booking time in my own calendar you know maybe every Friday afternoon box off two or three hours for something and then for you, Dervla, you know, you've mentioned something that I think will help us at any point in our career, whether it be in a transition or long standing in the same position. It's about the relationships, isn't it? That's one thing. And then you mentioned the other part was influencing skills. Yeah. You know, having the absolutely. relationship is part A. It's getting the other person to see and agree with you. That's the real challenge, isn't it? That's that's the kind of the part of it. So. I mean, let's say, for example, someone's trying to get into a career in compliance or make a move within compliance to the next level or into a different specialism. Do you guys have any tips for folks out there who are looking to make those changes in their careers? I think for myself, um, you have to almost set yourself a goal or a plan. I certainly did. I had the five-year plan of I want to be at a certain level within obviously the institution and work towards that. And I think the same mindset can be applied to compliance. So if there's a certain part of compliance that you're currently working in and you're interested in, for example, then set yourself that five-year plan to work towards that goal, whether that's formal education um, or whether that's learning on the job or whether it's through a network of colleagues. So I think that's the really important part. The second and important part is understand kind of your own mentality as well so understand what interests you obviously we both said that in compliance there's no day it's the same this job doesn't get boring so if you have that type of mindset maybe compliance is for you and you know you need to understand what your strengths are as well you know if you're understanding controls better than anything else then again maybe compliance is something for you so I think that's probably the key. I know there's a few that I'm probably not answering it in a roundabout way but um, yeah I think that's certainly for myself the, the few things that people need to think of when they think of maybe a role in compliance. Yeah, and I think one of the things I, I'd add to that is you know, when I was in internal audit, as I mentioned kind of at the start, I was in a credit role for a number of years and I was I was quite specialised in that area and it was very much my comfort zone. Um, but I decided, you know, for myself and for my own kind of growth, I would take on a different portfolio 
it was a lateral move you know it, it, I was the same level and I was moving across but it helped me learn about a whole new business area and ultimately it helped me I suppose to secure the job um, in compliance uh, because I had that experience that I could bring to that role so I think you know we don't ever be scared to make a lateral move if it's going to benefit you know your own knowledge base and skills and set you up for your next move that you want to make I think that's kind of an important thing for people to remember um, and again you know if you have you know wherever you're coming from into a role in compliance uh, think about the skills that you have that are transferable because everybody has some skills that they'll be able to transfer into this role you just need to kind of probably sit back and think about them I think that's actually really important what Deborah said in terms of you know transitioning at the same level um it's something I had certainly done before I was manager I moved as from an assistant manager into an AML compliance specialist that they were essentially the same level in terms of of an FTE but I think that's really important especially in the compliance world as well where there's just so many different nuances and there's so many different skills and obviously different specialities don't always kind of jump the gun so to speak think about you know is it going to save me now in the long run moving at a lateral pace rather than moving for a promotion that's to me that's actually really important I agree with you guys entirely on that one. And I, I think there's a there's an element of planning. And Greg, you mentioned the five-year plan. I think there's an element of planning, but there's also an element of kind of delayed gratification where you say to yourself, yeah, we all want the promotion. And maybe there's a, you know, there's a new name on the business card and maybe the salary changes a little bit, but it's about looking forward to the next role, the next role, you know, the next role the the role that you take if it's not lateral if you're moving up that could be the end of it for your career trajectory as in there's no step above that but that lateral move as you said Dervla based on your transferable skills based on your network that could have such a long trajectory that could have so so many new op opportunities for you that I completely agree with you guys lateral moves are the smarter moves in many cases it's not just up and up and up even though we've kind of been preloaded to think about that, haven't we, over the last number of years with our careers? It's always up, up, up. But I yeah. think businesses are starting to get smarter where they say, across until you find where you're great, and then we'll take you up so you can be even better than that again. Absolutely, yeah. And I think one of the things is, if you go up too fast, you've nowhere to go. Like, unless you literally want to be the CEO, you have nowhere to go. It's good to enjoy the experience. Don't just run and, and try and, go all the way up straight away you want to try and experience as you said find what you're great at and then seek to kind of excel at that but don't be scared to move uh, laterally and obviously if there's op opportunities for promotion go for them when when it's the right time for you and I think that can be the difficult one sometimes isn't it it's about the the when is the right time for you because you might see a role and you're like god I'd love that that could be great for me now but sometimes you might not have all the skill set to do it um, and I know, Dervla, you had mentioned about your own skill set. You knew what you could do and what you couldn't. So you went and you got the role that you were that was right for you. But sometimes it's difficult for people. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think about from the audience. Maybe we don't have that full self-awareness if we're a little bit more junior in our career. So I suppose maybe then talking with colleagues who are at or above our level, if, if we don't fully know ourselves, maybe we need those sounding boards, those mentors, those peers to kind of say, well, Greg, you know, you're really good at this, but it's not time for you to go up just yet. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Greg, got you on that one. I would know. I would agree with you um, 100% in that regard. And I think it's really important in terms of, say, not your career in compliance, but your career in general. There's, there's a few things you need to, to bear in mind. So obviously one is, I think we as, as Irish people tend to maybe undersell ourselves a little bit at times. Um, and that's something that we need to obviously in the workplace need to promote more but also as well having that very strong manager relationship as well. And whether that's your manager that you're reporting into or whether it's a network in, in the company you're working for and having the different managers. So you're not only getting feedback in terms of you as an individual, how you are performing half year, end of year, et cetera, but also your peers as well are recognizing actually what are your strengths? I know certainly within Grant Thornton, obviously how we operate is very much, you know, we will always help each other out. You know, I might be on a project with a client and I might not have the necessary skills to understand exactly what they're looking for, but I know someone that does and I can go and reach out to them and work with them to obviously meet the client's needs. And it's the same working in a bank as well. Obviously, 
um, especially myself being there for a number of years, I won't have the answer for you, but I know someone that does and I'll go find that person for you. So I think it's really important having that relationship with your manager, with peers, with other managers, because that's the only way you know, if you don't know yourself or you're unsure yourself from a confidence even perspective of, okay, I'm ready to take the step and even apply for this promotion. You have that backup or background then to say, actually, yeah, you have those skills, put your name in the hat, do the experience of the interview, see what it's like and take it from there. Yeah, and just to touch on that, just to keep it real, <laughs> um, when I was in uh, internal audits, I applied for a portfolio lead job. I was having an audit manager on the credit team for a number of years, and I uh, applied for um, a portfolio lead on a different team. Um, it was a group manufacturing team at the time, and I was unsuccessful. Um, but the experience of the interview and the feedback that I got from that interview, it positioned me really well. And I was kind of almost happy I didn't get it because when the portfolio lead team came up in the credit team, which was the team I was in, I was well prepared for that interview and I done much better and I was successful in getting that role. So again, you know, we all get knocks, but I think it's to take the good out of them, take the feedback and keep going with that. I think that's that's really good. I mean, you're right there, Dervla. The, the interviews are invaluable as a form of feedback. And it's absolutely gut-wrenching when you go in and you do an interview for a role you really want and you don't get it. But sometimes the best gift is to not get the role you're not ready for at that time and maybe spend six months or whatever period of time it is with some self-reflection, getting the new skills, getting the network, doing what you need to do so that the next time that role comes up, you knock it out of the park. And back to what you said, Greg, earlier on, I, I love what you mentioned around the importance of a manager because I know sometimes that it's easy to say that company looks great, that job looks great, even that salary comp and Benz looks great. There's a whole lot of shiny things in our eyes, but there's not enough importance placed on the, on the manager themselves. If you have a great manager who's championing you in the background, your career is almost going to skyrocket. If you have a, another manager who's not supporting you, not helping you build your networks, not helping you with your continuous professional development, it's a bit of an anchor, isn't it? So yeah. my, my, my kind of tangent tip to anyone in the audience is, yes, choose the role based on what you'd normally, but also choose the manager because you're going to spend a lot of time with them and they're going to be an ally or not. Yeah. Um, so good point, Greg, on that one. Um, I think one of the, just to, to finish that point off there, I think one of the, the best things which keeps popping up obviously on Facebook and, and in the different podcasts is people don't tend to move jobs because of their job. They tend to move jobs because of their manager. That's a great point. And I've, I've been reading some of those articles myself. They do pop up. And the articles that kind of scare me more so are when you move, not because the time is right for you or there's a better opportunity, it's because you've just gotten to the end of your patience with your boss and your manager, and it could almost become self-destructive to your career to stay too long. So we never want to get into that position. So I completely agree with you guys about the importance of networks, the importance of skills and the importance of managers, but back to your own careers and, you know, the lessons you've learned and the trajectory you guys are on, has the career in compliance lived up to your expectations or were there any surprises that you found along the way? I think for myself, yes, it has lived up to expectations, if not more so. Um, and maybe Devla can attest to this as well, is when people generally think of compliance when you're in a different role, you think of the police within the firm um, for a number of different reasons. You know, they're telling you what you've done wrong and why you've done it wrong and this is the way it should be done. So, um, but then getting into it, it it's, it's much more than that. As, as Davila said, it's, it's the support network for the other business units. It's understanding, it's answering the questions, it's forecasting as well in terms of what regulation is, is coming down from an upstream perspective. There's so many different avenues to it. Um, so it's certainly lived up to my expectations. I think with a compliance role and with any other role in an institution as well, you know, the takeaway for me is obviously learn from your mistakes as well. You know, if you're advising a business unit in a certain aspect or if you're advising a client, then, and you get it wrong, you know, just hands up and say, listen, apologies, I've got this one wrong. Or my interpretation is not exactly what it is. And this is actually what it's meant to be. So I think that is the, for me, the best takeaway. And um, we're all human, none of us are perfect. Um, and it's probably one of the, 
my great interview questions as well that I always ask a member of staff, you know, what area did you make? How did you make it? What did you learn from it? So I think um, that can certainly be uh, applied across the board. Yeah, I completely agree with Greg. And it's important to know, I suppose, you know, we're, we're not all of us, we're not all of us, right? <laughs> Firstly, um, but it's, it's to have that open engagement with your stakeholders. So, you know, to have that honest conversation and whether it's on a regulatory implementation or a decision that's been made, you know, that in, in relation to your product or something, but to be able to have that conversation with them about the pros and the cons of say the decision for the customers and how that might impact them and have they assess the, the impact on the customers. And a lot of the work that my team is focused on is relating to conduct risk and how we are engaging with our customers and how the decisions that we're making in the frontline business are impacting those customers. And are we confident that, you know, what we're doing is in the best interest of those customers? And I suppose that's what I really enjoy. And that's probably one of the things I'm enjoying the most about the compliance career, because in internal audit, I felt like I was slightly removed from the customer, whereas in compliance, I feel like I am there and I'm the customer's voice. And I'm trying to make sure that when the business is doing something, that the customer is at the forefront front of that decision. Um, and of course, there's loads of people working in compliance with different skill sets, different knowledge, you know, whether it's data protection, AML, as Greg has said. And it's to have the relationships with those people and to be able to talk to them and for them to be able to support my team on different topics and, and myself, um, because they are the experts. And, and I don't claim to be expert in everything, but... Uh, you know, you need to be able to engage with all these people and have have those strong relationships and links. So it's that collaborative approach that you see in compliance functions that really, I really, really enjoy. And uh, yeah, have to say I'm I'm delighted with my uh, decision to move into the second line. I agree as well, and it's something obviously um, expanding on what Deborah said there in terms of the collaboration between the different compliance units. Um, there's always an argument with AML and dash protection of which one trumps the other. You know, I'm looking for an ID here. I have a basis to get it, but am I asking too much? You know, and then from a conduct perspective as well, which has really come on leaps and bounds in the industry over the last number of years. It's it's a lot more than you know is our customer now being treated fairly as well? It's putting yourself in the customer's shoes and looking at the journey they're going through, looking at the process they're going through and going, okay, is this fair? Is it right? Is it the right outcome for the customer as well? So um, the collaboration, there's a lot of discussion in compliance departments um, on a daily basis, I'd say, in terms of exchange of views, exchange of ideas, okay, well, that regulation might mean something for the CCMA, but what does it, what is the impact on AML, for example? So there's always that collaboration communication. Um, and sometimes you have to kind of be able to, to influence other compliance officers as well in terms of, okay, well, this is the best approach or this is, you know, do we need to tweak this approach maybe or something? So um, definitely no, 100% agree with everything Deborah said as well. I think you guys touched on, on some really fantastic points there. Um, and just for the audience's benefit, I want to kind of just summarize on those because I think they really kind of get to the heart of what compliance is about, but what it can be misunderstood as sometimes. As Dervla said, it, it's not audit. Um, and Greg, it's kind of the police, but it's not quite the police because, you know, hopefully we don't get, we don't get to the fines and the jail time that the police might put on us. Um, I, I like that you said that um, both of you said it's about the contribution to the business. It's supporting the stakeholders. It's answering questions. It's forecasting what are the likely new regulations and what are their impacts going to be. Um, and that kind of goes back to what we said earlier about that ongoing engagement with our stakeholders, whether it be for business outcomes or customer outcomes. And I think that's a really important message for people to take away from the podcast in general. Um, it, it's that compliance is, it should be almost like the CEO's best friend in that way. It is about protecting the business from certain risks and improving the business performance in terms of, as you guys mentioned, customer focus, for example. Um, and that's an area that we are seeing um, a lot of controversy around in the public media. We're seeing about issues with customer satisfaction, contracts being canceled, service levels not being met. And I think compliance plays that role as in it's kind of like the silent guide on the side that if you can listen into compliance, you can avoid some of those problems so you never have to go and have your name in the media. What do you guys think? Would I be right? Would I be wrong in that interpretation? I think you're right. I mean, I think, you know, 
compliance functions have grown a lot over the last number of years. So they used to be small. And I think that where they've come to now, and I suppose, for example, the, the team that I'm working in, so corporate banking and global markets compliance, that's a new team. We were set up a year ago. Before that, there wasn't a specific team dedicated to that division. But because of the regulatory landscape and because of the focus on our customers, uh, it's warranted that we have a dedicated team there to support the business. Um, the, just even in relation to the level of upstream uh, upstream uh, regulations that are coming down the track and making sure they're implementing those in the best way possible and in a compliant manner. And then any of the decisions we're making, there's lots of different stuff going on with the different banks pulling out of the Irish market and how we're engaging with the customers and bringing them over in a safe manner, in a way that, you know, is is the best outcome from our customers. So I think you hit the nail on the head, Rob. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would agree. Um and, and fully agree in terms of, of the compliance structures that are currently in place or were in place in a lot of institutions as well. You know, GDPR brought whole GDPR teams together in terms of setting up to make sure banks were compliant or insurance companies were compliant with the new regulation. And um, you know, now we look at the MLRO, the P PCF 52 position now that is coming on board or has come on board in terms of making sure there is a dedicated person, whereas primarily it was head of compliance and your MLRO combined, whereas now they're almost separated and obviously making sure that the MLRO has their dedicated independent reporting line directly in to the CRO or CEO. So they're, they're independent as such. So, and that's gonna continue to change, you know, as I said there, that the conduct space um, has grown massively um, over the past number of years in terms of complaint aspects, you know, it, gone is the days of, okay, well, if we're doing this for one customer, we have to do it for everyone. It's looking at each individual in their own rights, assessing obviously what the issue is, and then actually forming an outcome of, was it the right outcome for the customer? So it's forever changing and, um, you know, we're not gonna stop now. And it, uh, certainly from a, a European and CBI side, it's probably gonna get more and more intense as the years and years go on as well. I, I like that you mentioned that about, you know, it's, it's probably gonna get more intense. It's, it's no two days of the same, as you guys both said earlier on and influencing skills as well, as you mentioned. So, you know, what are some of the kind of pressure points? It, it's, it's not all rosy, I suppose, working in compliance. There can be challenging scenarios, challenging situations. Are there some examples that you could share for the audience about what that's looked like in your past? I suppose, you know, one of the key challenges can be, you know, working with the business to meet regulatory deadlines. I mean, we have, as I said, upstream regulations that we're trying to implement and then various dear CEO letters or regulatory requests looking for some piece of information. And, you know, the turnaround times on, on some of those requests is, is very short. And I suppose when a response goes back to the regulator, one of the key things for my team to do is to look at that response that the business have drafted and make sure that that response is answering everything that the regulators asked for and that it, it, it will stand up, I suppose, um, and that the regulator be happy with it. So one of the pressure points is the regulatory deadlines and just the, the overwhelming kind of level of change that's coming um, because it's constant, which is, is a good thing, but it is constant. They're probably some of the key points for me. I'd probably agree as well. Um, you know, when the regulation does come into force or if it changes, yes, you, you are given a certain amount of notice, should we say, which is always beneficial. But then working with the business units to actually understand what the impact is. So sitting in the second line, you're not necessarily going to always understand, OK, well, what does this exactly mean for A, our customers, E, for our colleagues in, in our business units as well. So, um, for example, when wire transfer regulation came in, it was very much sitting down, conducting a gap analysis, understanding the regulation, saying, but what do we currently do? What do we need to add on to or what do we need to amend in order to meet the regulation? Um, and to me, that's probably one of the, the challenging parts. And that's where your communication, your collaboration, your influencing comes into play um, with obviously colleagues in the compliance function, but also then with the business unit as well, because you need to have a very strong collaborative to understand the current state of play that they're working in and understanding what you can do as a firm to make sure you're meeting that regulation that's coming down into force. And, and so, Dervley, you mentioned around, you know, one of the challenges is meeting the regulatory responses in a fast and consistent manner and also 
kind of having that detail orientated approach to be able to get all the responses in. And Greg, you mentioned around, you know, understanding the impact of those regulations, stakeholder engagement, influencing, you know, those are some of the skills required. So if we're taking a look at the skills of what makes a good compliance professional, are there any additional ones other than that kind of influencing the fast response to attention to detail? Are there any other skills that you think those are the ones that people need to begin to either prioritize and build in their lives if they haven't done so yet? Organizing is a, is a big one as well um, to cover both aspects in terms of obviously if you're responding to the regulator and you've multiple responses to get back um, you need to be well organized um, and also from obviously then your, your own daily task perspective of understanding upstream regulation obviously again being organized so I can't speak for obviously Denver, but very much myself it's all excel sheets and understanding and tracking everything through and making sure the deadlines are all panned out in different colors there's a future over here and a green over here in a different column so understanding all of that aspect to make sure you know you're going to stay on track ultimately you don't want to be going to the regulator with saying listen we've missed this deadline or we're late in this deadline because obviously if you're continuing to do that your name's then going to be in lights. So it's something you need to be on top of from day one. Yeah, I think, um, and I think we've mentioned this probably more than once, but I think the ability to review and challenge um, is really important when you're in a compliance role. And uh, and also to be able to consider, you know, what the business are telling you. So, you know, you can be reviewing and challenging, but you need to be able to, I suppose, take on board what they're saying and they may have mitigating factors and you need to be able to understand those factors. So. It's it's that ability to have a balanced view. So take in all the information and kind of process it and then land, you know, where your view is and then to be able to relay that to the business. And um, I think that's really, really important. And, and it's a huge part of the role. And so an interesting part, I suppose, about this is a huge amount of that is soft skills. I mean, the technical skills come into play. The, the subject matter expertise comes into it, but it really is a huge amount of the soft skills help us to do the job. It's the knowledge is almost like that baseline that you needed to get in the door, but in order to get up the ladder or laterally make the right moves, those soft skills seem to be really important. What do you guys think? I agree with you. Um, and I think that can be applied to any job, but particularly in compliance as well. You can study um, compliance aspect, and, and it's very much obviously, say my own current role, I, I can someone can teach me AML, someone can teach me the skills that I need to be a good AML MS or a good MLRO. But if I didn't have all the skills in terms of how I communicate, how I can interact with individuals, then I wouldn't be where I am today. So I think it's, it's very much, and you can split down, you know, it's maybe 20% education, it's then 40%, you know, in the role, and the rest is obviously those transferable skills that you're going to do in almost any job, as Dervla said earlier on. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the soft skills is a huge part of it. And I think as um, as you progress uh, in the role, it, it becomes probably a bigger factor uh, because at the end of the day, you may be engaging with stakeholders in the business. You may be representing to committees or to, you know, to risk committees and, and boards, and you need to be able to have those soft skills to, to help you to do that. So obviously you need the underlying knowledge of the regulations, but regulations always change, right? It doesn't matter where you are, they're going to change. You're going to have to learn about them. That's an ongoing thing. So the ongoing reading piece is really important that Greg mentioned earlier, but it's the soft skills and the ability to um, engage with your stakeholders, be it in the business or um, in the third line or other colleagues in the second line and then various committees. So I think we can turn it to advice now. So I'm going to ask you guys for advice for our audience and we'll kick off with yourself, Derva. What advice would you give someone who's interested in moving from the third line into the second line? What are your tips and your advice for those? Well, the first one, I think, is to have faith um, in their own ability and remember that the skills that, are, that they have in the third line are very transferable to the second line. So, for example, in the third line, you need to be able to review, to challenge the business, to assess implementation of regulations. We do all of that in the second line, um, just at a different point in time, maybe. So you need, you know, all those skills are transferable. So you need to have that confidence in yourself. Um, and the other thing I'd say is when you're in the third line, in some ways it sets you up very well to move into other business units because at the start of every audit, generally, 
it's a new area, it's a new subject. There's a lot of learning that happens. And that learning is what sets you up for a role in compliance um, because we're constantly learning about the new regulations and the new ways of doing things. So I think that um, remember that and bring that forward with yourself. So I think the confidence in yourself is one of the key things. And just knowing that you will be able to do it because you've done it before. Like if, if, if you've worked on various audits and you've upskilled uh, in the business area and read various regulations so that you can audit against those, you can certainly uh, do the role in, in compliance. Mm, I'd agree something very similar in terms of, of Dervla, in terms of if you're in the first line function from, from myself, from my own background aspect, you know of the regulation, you've been working with the regulation because it's impacted you and how you operate in your job. So having that key strength and then changing that strength into the second line, yes, you're changing your mindset, you're changing your approach to the regulation in terms of, okay, you're supporting the first line this time, but you are transferring so many skills and the advantage of being in the first line and moving in the second line is you've done the job remember you know what the pain point is you know what the pressure point is you know how it impacts the customer who you're dealing with on a daily basis and this is simply a transferable skill that you're now moving into a different mindset so the way I look at it is you're closing one door in one side of the head and you're opening the other side of the door in the other side um, to, to look at it from a different point of view, from a, a fresh perspective um, and from that challenge perspective as well. So you're challenging the first line, so to speak, and, and you're reviewing what's currently in place as opposed to being the one that is implementing those new controls. One thing I might just add, um, and I would have said this a lot when I worked in audit, is that I felt like I knew a little bit of, about a lot. So um, I knew you know, a certain amount about various different topics um, and, and various different processes in the bank. And what I found when I came into to the compliance role now is that I know a lot more about those processes because I spent a lot more time focused on them. And, um, and that's nice. It's nice to kind of build that knowledge in certain areas. So that's one of the contrasts. You're always chopping and changing in audit. After a certain amount of time in compliance, you do start to kind of get a greater understanding and you're kind of a little bit more in tune on what the business is doing than, than kind of that step removed in the third line. That's a good point, isn't it? About, about building up that deep knowledge, as you said, Derval, then using it to give you the confidence to push yourself forward. So have the knowledge, have the skills. And then as Greg said, take those and evolve those into the specialism that you're going into, into the area that you're going into. And then back to Derval, as you said, kind of always still remembering why we're doing it to kind of have that critical thinking to understanding, well, what is the business's situation here? What's preventing them from doing what I'm advising or, or maybe why it could be falling on deaf ears today, because maybe there's something that they haven't said to me. That's a challenge to, to preventing them from doing what I've said. So it's, it's, it's kind of combo of listening and talking and having having really open conversations, even if they sound open, it's really understanding the other person's perspective. So we're, we're coming to the end of the podcast, guys. It's absolutely flown by. Here's the last question. And um, maybe we could kick off with Greg and then we'll go to Dervla at the end. Sell us on a compliance career. I think going back to kind of some of the first points myself and Dervla made. So if you want a day that's not the same, if you, you know, you don't want to be bored in your career, in your day-to-day -day working tasks, I think then compliance is for you. There are so many skills that you can learn and you can transfer between different compliance units. Again, it's not a case of just always understanding one regulation, because once you understand one, you're pretty much a basis for all of them. They're all transferable. So you can go in as a data protection officer. And three years later, you might be the MLRO because they work in tandem with each other. So I think that's the huge benefit of being in compliance. You're not pigeonholing yourself from an operational perspective or from a product manager perspective or from a product specialist. There's so many things that you can learn and anything you learn, you can then transfer to a new skill within compliance as well. And that goes for then being company wide as well. So um, as with my background, starting in a financial institution, working my way up, and then transferring in consultancy and working for Grant Thornton and obviously the, the avenues that that opens up for me as well. So compliance is not a one-stop shop as I like to think of it. Um, yes, you can specialize in one area, 
but in the background you'll always have that second speciality at the same time that you might not even know about but you're already doing it as well because obviously you might be looking at audits for example or you might be looking at aml audits and before you know it you're looking at third-party management for example so there's no one day that is the same in summary um, you know, the landscape is always changing. So you're constantly challenging yourself. And if you're anything like me, in terms of making sure your brain is always active, that you want to learn more as well, compliance is for you as well. And I absolutely agree with everything Greg has said. So I'm not going to go over that. Um, but I suppose just maybe to add to it, the other thing I suppose that I find very interesting is that you're very in touch with regulatory change and the expectations of the regulator. And you really have the ability to support the business as they implement these these changes. And that for me is is just kind of a, a real kind of success factor of working in compliance is that, you know, you could be working with the business on projects. You could be sitting on projects kind of and, and on interpretation working groups and they'll be talking about how they're how they interpret this regulation. And you may be challenging that or agreeing with it, but you're kind of at the forefront of that change, which is exciting. Change is always exciting. Um, and the other thing, as I said earlier, you have a real ability to impact the customer experience. And I mean, banks are about customers. You know, they wouldn't they wouldn't be there if we didn't have customers who needed banks. So I suppose the ability to impact on that customer experience in a positive way and to protect those customers and the bank, as the banks move forward. I think that's a really, really, um, really powerful uh, piece to be involved in and to be part of and that for me alone is is reason enough to work in compliance. I think that's really um, interesting in, in terms of the compliance officer role as well and in terms of that interpretation piece so you'll have a new regulation that comes in and how I may interpret it maybe slightly different to how Devler interprets it as well so the whole industry even as, as a compliance officer, you can move between different industries and move between different firms and you can see what works best and what doesn't work best and how everyone is applying the different compliance um, or, or abiding to the regulation from a compliant perspective. So um, that's, a, that's a really important part actually as well. And again, it goes back to challenging, learning every day, no day is the same um, and you're shaping the future of the industry as well. What a great line to end on, <laughs> shaping the future of the industry. That was a really, really good one. So just to summarize, I mean, you guys love your roles because you've got a varied career, interesting roles, supporting the business, supporting the customer. No two days are the same because I think I might, I need to maybe ship up and ship shape my CV and start applying for some compliance roles myself. So Dervla and Greg, thank you so much for sharing your extensive insights, experience, your examples, it's been a wonderful conversation, incredibly valuable for anyone out in the audience who's looking at a change for themselves. So I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for listening in to the Compliance Files podcast. It's brought to you by the Compliance Institute. I hope that you found the podcast interesting and useful. We'd also be very grateful if you could review or rate this podcast. And until the next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Compliance Files. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to ensure you don't miss out on future episodes.